DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University, and he has dedicated many years to an extensive ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching about the spiritual life. Father Gallagher is the author of seven books published by the Crossroad Publishing Company on the spiritual teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life, the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola. The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free, with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. The Eighth Rule. Let one who is in desolation work to be in patience, which is contrary to the vexations which come to him. And let him think that he will soon be consoled, diligently using the means against such desolation, as is said in the Sixth Rule. Welcome back, Father Gallagher. Thanks, Chris. Spiritual desolation. A time for patience. That essentially is rule eight of the exercises, yes? Patience is the key virtue in time of desolation. Probably as I say that, we can all resonate with that, how often we feel the need for patience. But St. Ignatius here is speaking of patience in a very precise setting. You know, when our hearts are kind of heavy, when it's hard to finish the time of prayer, it's hard to go on with the activity in the parish. Well, why don't we, as usual, just begin this by looking at a, uh, really a very beautiful example of this. And this is from the spiritual journal of the servant of God, Elizabeth Lazer, mm. who was a French woman who died in 1914. It's a remarkable story. She had a very happy marriage with her husband, Felix. However, he was a militant atheist, not just a non-believer, but a, really a, a militant atheist. And early on in their marriage, he began asking her to read some of the works of the classic atheistic writers of the day, people like Renan and von Harnack and people like that. Now, she'd always been Catholic, but her faith had always been a part of her life, but probably not powerfully at the center of her life. Somewhat unwillingly, but he'd asked her, she began to read these things. And as she read them, her interest was awakened to see, well, what do the Catholics themselves say in answer to this kind of writing? And she began reading Catholic writers, and that was the turning point in her life. She awakened to the, the beauty of the faith, to the truth of it, and began a very deep life of holiness, which led, obviously, now to her process of canonization. At this point, the great sorrow in her life was that she and her husband could not share the, the deep love that she had for Christ. And she longed that for his conversion, that he would come to faith in Christ. She never pressured him. She never tried to say anything. After her death, her husband was going through her things and found the, the a spiritual journal, the existence of which he had known nothing, and began to read it and was was deeply struck to realize that there was a side of his wife that he had never known, as beautiful as their marriage had been. And it was as he re read the pages of this journal that he began to realize the intensity of her desire, how deeply she had longed that he would come to faith in Christ. And it did bring him to faith in Christ. And later he became a Dominican priest and spent his life promoting his life's spiritual teaching, which is why we have this spiritual journal today. 
Now, this is a, a point in her journal when she is experiencing what she describes as cowardice, weakness, awkwardness in my demeanor with others. Probably we can all relate to that at times in our lives. Absolutely. Acute physical suffering and deep moral suffering. And then, this is a beautiful thing. She says, in the midst of this, a will unshakably turned to God. You sense that there is something rock-solid, deeply rooted in God, so deep that it will not be shaken, even in the darkness of what St. Ignatius would call spiritual desolation. So, Father, it wouldn't eliminate the experiences, all the different type of emotional experiences, but there's something underpinning. Yes, this is the virtue of the person who is feeling the heaviness, but does not give up, will not give up. That word patience actually comes from the Latin verb patior, which means to suffer, to bear, to endure, not to give up when everything would want to make me give up. It'd be kind of like the mother who gets up during the night, night after night, to take care of a child who is ill. And she's weary, and the weariness is growing, but she doesn't stop. She does this night after night until the child is restored to health. That's the patience Ignatius is talking about on the spiritual level now when things are dark and heavy in the spiritual life, as they will be from time to time, as, as we all know when we look at our experience. Mm-hmm. She goes on to say, right in that heaviness and darkness, a plenitude of confidence in God, love for him, daily duties performed at whatever cost by great effort without fervor, but still performed. Now, there you get a sense of what Ignatius is getting at in this rule, that that's something that will stay the course in the time of the spiritual heaviness when there really isn't much felt energy for spiritual things. Then two months later in the same journal, she writes, more than two months in the dejection of almost continual physical suffering, which physical things were not easy for her at this point, and with terrible anxiety on Juliet's account. This was her sister who was quite ill at this time. The miserable belief that my illness will last as long as I do, always impeding my life. And now watch again her response in this. Complete resignation, but without joy or any inner consolation. Mm-hmm. The resolve to use my misfortunes for the good of souls, to fill my life with prayer, with work, with charity, to maintain serenity through everything, to love right in the heaviness, to love more than ever those who are the dear companions of my life. In the first place, her husband, members of the family, and the people with whom she was relating. Well, that already says what Ignatius is talking about in Rule 8. At the beginning of the chapter in the book, I'd quote just those three words from St. Teresa of Avila's famous prayer, patience achieves everything. So St. Ignatius says that the one who is in desolation, this is a week when I don't feel God's closeness, I don't feel much energy for prayer, I don't really want want to go down to the Bible study Wednesday evening in the parish the way I usually go. It's hard for me to reach out to my spouse or my children with that extra effort to live the love that Jesus teaches. And right in the heaviness of the spiritual desolation, Ignatius says, let one who is in desolation work to be in patience, exactly like the servant of God Elizabeth, as we just quoted. It takes effort. She stays the course. To speak about this as concretely as we can, here is a person who spends 20 minutes each morning praying. Maybe he or she takes the readings from the Mass of the day, prays with them. In the last several days, it's been kind of difficult and dry. And today, let's say she sits down, everything's ready in the morning, it's quiet, she begins her time of prayer, and it feels very difficult, very dry. Everything in her says, this is going to be just as dry as it's been the last several days. Why don't I shorten the time? Maybe I shouldn't even try it today. 
And right in that time, Ignatius says, let the one who is in desolation work to be in patience. Stay the course like the mother who gets up night after night, who will not give up, like Elizabeth in the experiences that we just quoted. In the midst of this, she says, a will unshakably turned to God. Or, it's Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening, there's the Bible study. I've been going for the last few months. I love what it's been doing in my life, but now spiritual desolation, no energy. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to get myself there exactly as planned. Or the retreat that I planned to make was such delight six months ago, and now it's a day for, you know, two days before the retreat. And again, if it's a time of spiritual desolation, and everything in me just says, let it go, or I get there, and something in me says, why don't I just head home? Nothing's going to happen here. Let this person work to stay in patience. Patience, understood in that sense, is the key virtue of the person in time of spiritual desolation. The eighth rule let one who is in desolation work to be in patience, which is contrary to the vexations which come to him, and let him think that he will soon be consoled, diligently using the means against such desolation, as is said in the sixth rule. Then Ignatius says something that I love. Um, it's one of the most hope-filled things in this entire set of rules. What will help us, he says, to be patient in that sense, to finish the 20 minutes, to go to the Bible study, to stay throughout the retreat weekend, to keep trying to love my husband or wife or children with a, a Christ-centered kind of love, is this thought, Ignatius says, let him think that he will soon be consoled. Let him think that he will soon be consoled. Because as I begin those 20 minutes of prayer, and I'm five minutes into it and it's dry and difficult, what the desolation says to me is that every remaining minute of these 20 minutes is going to be just as dry and difficult and desolate as these first five or if I'm praying for an hour before mm -hmm. the Blessed Sacrament, or it's the first morning of a weekend retreat and it's difficult. The rest of it, the next 20, 30 years of your service of the Lord are going to be just as difficult and painful as you live your marriage, as you live your service in the church. It's going to be just as desolate as it is now. And Ignatius says, let the person who is in desolation think, call to mind the truth, that this desolation is not going to last forever that consolation is going to return, and the adverb is a powerful thing, it's going to return soon, a lot sooner than the desolation is telling me. Let's suppose that here we, is a hospital room, two patients, roughly in the same discomfort, different symptoms. Doctor comes in, stops at the bed of the first patient, looks at the charts, a few questions with the patient, and says, I wish I could tell you otherwise, but I do need to let you know that it's going to be some weeks yet before you begin to feel better. Goes to the bed of the second patient, looks at the charts, speaks with the patient, and says, I know you're feeling some discomfort, but I can tell you that by tomorrow afternoon you're going to feel as good as new, and walks out of the room. Now how do the two of them face roughly the same physical discomfort? A lot harder for the first one, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And a lot easier for the second one, who's still feeling that discomfort, but now knows that it's not going to last long. And that's the truth of it when we're in desolation. That's what Ignatius says, right in the desolation, call that to mind, because it gives so much energy. I'm five minutes into this 20 minutes or half hour of prayer. I have no idea what treasures God may have in store for me. If we look back over our lives, we'll see how true this is. When we've been in the darkness of spiritual desolation, our sense has been it will always be like this. But when we look back over our lives... The truth is that it isn't always like that. Consolation does return, and much sooner than the desolation tells us. I remember a woman telling me, this was a woman probably in her 70s, 
that when she gets into times of spiritual kind of lowness, you know, the, what we're calling spiritual desolation, she says to herself, was it like this yesterday? Which is a beautiful thing, because what it says is, if I think back, it, no, it hasn't been like this all that long, or at least I can clearly see a time before this began, which is a way of deepening her faith that this is not going to last forever, that consolation is going to return, and again, a lot sooner than the desolation is telling us. We'll return in just a moment to The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts, and either download our free apps, which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores, or visit discerninghearts.com. We now return to The Discernment of Spirits, Setting Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father, what has been the effect of the experience of Mother Teresa that was so highly publicized during the canonization process of her time of desolation that could potentially trip up most people because when they hear that her particular period was such a long one, and I know we've discussed this before, but it it comes up over and over again for those who are walking closely. Am I going through that? It's, It's a good thing, I think, that we bring that up again, and this is a great context for it. What's important is to to recognize that there's a difference between what Mother Teresa experienced and the sort of kind of garden variety, ordinary stuff of the daily spiritual life of all of us that St. Ignatius calls spiritual desolation. What Mother Teresa experienced is what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night. And not everyone goes through that, those to whom God calls to a certain kind of union, a certain kind of prayer. It's a work of God. It works for good in the person and through the person. And this is clear in Mother Teresa's experience through the person for others. The whole world was blessed by the woman who faithfully bore this darkness and radiated such joy to the world. When God calls a person to that kind of dark night, in the strict sense of the word as St. John of the Cross uses it, then our response would be, should be, what Mother Teresa's response was, we accept that, we carry that faithfully, and like all Good Fridays, carried with the, the cross carried with Jesus leads to an Easter Sunday, a newness of life in the person, and look at the holiness of her life and through the person for others. Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about here is something very different. This is not a work of God, spiritual desolation. It's a work of the enemy. If we do not resist it, it will only harm it, harm us, which is what the enemy intends with it. We'll get discouraged, disheartened, pulled back. So that here the only appropriate response, as Ignatius has been telling us in the last, in the last several rules, is an active, hope-filled, 
effort in the Lord and with all the spiritual tools that St. Ignatius is, is giving to us to resist and reject and overcome it. I think most of us, when we're experiencing a kind of heaviness in our spiritual lives, most often what we're experiencing is spiritual desolation. So we never ha should have any hesitation to, to know that God's call is to actively work to resist it and reject it. And that's how the growth is going to come in our spiritual lives. So essentially, it's it, again, it's going back to the big three. Be aware, understand, and take the appropriate action to counter this. In this case, be patient. Exactly. Oh, something's going on in my spiritual life right now. I become aware. Oh, this is spiritual desolation work of the enemy to try to dishearten and discourage me. Now I understand it. All right, let me start working to resist and reject this. That's my third step, take action. And in this case, by working to be patient, like Elizabeth Lazar, staying the course. And what will help me to do that is calling to mind right in the struggle itself, five minutes into that half hour of prayer or that difficult day, that this is not going to last forever, that consolation is going to come back and a lot sooner and the desolation is telling me. Sometimes what I do, I'm a writer, and writing helps me even as regards understanding spiritual things. When I'm in a time of desolation, don't just, just don't feel energy for prayer or the various things in the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. I'll get out my journal and I'll write that in there. Right now, I seem to be experiencing a certain amount of spiritual desolation. And with Rule 8 specifically in mind, I'll even write it there. This is not going to last forever. I am going to come back to what I'm writing right now in a time when consolation has returned. And it always does happen. The desolation eventually does pass, and usually a lot sooner than I was thinking in the time of desolation. Then I'll get out the journal again, and I'll read what I wrote in the time of desolation. Then it was an act of hope when I wrote it, of trust in Ignatius' rule. Now as I read, it's an experience. And each time I do that, it keeps fortifying me in the truth of Rule 8. Rule 8 is a wonderful thing, if we can call it to mind. It's really an, an act of the will. I mean, in many cases, I mean, when we think of hope sometimes, it's in, categorize it as strictly a, as an emotion. But this is a taming of that emotion with our will, isn't it? Very much. It's an act of faith and an act of hope. So it's a choice to live not simply on the level of what I'm feeling spiritually. What I'm feeling is heavy. There's not much energy there. But it's a calling to mind a truth of faith that fortifies my will, fortifies my whole humanity to stay the course even when the feelings are not there, so that I am calling to mind and thinking about what I'm not clearly feeling. Yeah, very much so. Now, this leads to something pretty important in the spiritual life in general. Somehow, you know, we all have this tendency as human beings to think that if I've done it once, I should always be able to do it. You know, I got my diet perfectly in order and it was all going well for so many weeks, and then it fell apart somehow, or my regime of exercise or of prayer in the spiritual life. But in, in human experience, things don't always remain in that sort of linear progression. Things go up and down. We have it more together at times. It falls apart for a bit. We get it back together again. And we go forward by never giving up when things are not where we would want them to be, but by picking up the pieces again and going forward. And each time we do that, we're growing in strength. The eighth rule, let one who is in desolation work to be in patience which is contrary to the vexations which come to him, and let him think that he will soon be consoled, diligently using the means against such desolation, as is said in the sixth rule. So it's obvious now from Rule 8 that St. Ignatius presumes, 
as normal in the spiritual life, that there are times of spiritual consolation when we delight in the Lord, prayer is warm, God feels close, and they don't last forever. Then times of spiritual desolation will come when we don't have any energy for spiritual things. God doesn't feel close. They will not last forever. Consolation returns. Desolation, consolation. If you can see a sort of a wavy line, you know, um, could sort of picture that, an up and down kind of line. That's the way Ignatius understands spiritual experience goes in our lives. And again, I think as I say that, all of us can recognize the truth of that. Now, it's obviously not a perfectly symmetrical line. There may be uh, maybe some weeks of consolation sometimes, maybe even some months, and then maybe a short period of desolation, or in the course of a day, there could be uh, a variation between one and the other, so that there's nothing symmetrical. And also, we should say that we're not always either in spiritual consolation or spiritual desolation. There's also what St. Ignatius calls the tranquil time. Things are kind of on an even keel. You know, we're not really feeling the, the great joy and delight of spiritual consolation, nor are our hearts heavy. But on, in kind of a calm and tranquility, we go forward in our service of God, and, and that's a beautiful time in life as well. So to draw out the chart, if we could do this, of, uh, of the ups and downs in a real-life experience, there'd be nothing at all symmetrical about it, uh, and it's going to be very different. But what St. Ignatius wants us to see is that it, we can expect as normal spiritual experience that there will be an alternation of times of consolation and desolation. And I, I, I'm always happy to, to put this into words because very often there can be a, in our hearts a kind of a sense that somehow I'm the only one. You know, here are 20 of us in church praying, and these other people seem so devout and so fervent. If they only knew what was going on in my heart right now, all the distractions, and I can hardly keep my focus on this, and I wish this were over. You know, all of those things that are normal in spiritual desolation. So that's the first thing to say, that this is normal spiritual experience. There is nothing to be ashamed of in this. And that I want to keep saying over and over again, that there is no shame in being in spiritual desolation. You could almost look at it as a good thing, knowing that this is an opportunity for you to strengthen your virtues, and to be able to continue pulling, because you know that God is is trying to, He's allowing this to help you to grow. It's absolutely true. We grow in both sides of the equation. When God is giving spiritual consolation and light and inspiration and clarity and energy for spiritual things, we will grow in wonderful ways. Our prayer will deepen. We'll take new new initiatives in the Lord. And in spiritual desolation, if we are, as you call it exercising the big three. You know, if we're aware, we understand that this is desolation and we're taking action to reject it, we are going to grow in other ways. One of the authors on this, in a phrase I've never forgotten, writes this, without desolation, we would remain spiritual children. Without desolation, we would remain spiritual children. And we can all, again, look back over our lives and recognize how not only the times when we felt God's closeness have led us to growth, but often enough, it's the times of heaviness and darkness that have almost compelled us to take some of the most blessed spiritual steps that we've taken in our lives. And we're, in retrospect, not that they were easy to go through those times, but in retrospect, we know there's much to be grateful for. And God, who, as Ignatius says in a lovely phrase, loves us more than we love ourselves, will call us, will permit us at times to go through the experience of spiritual desolation because of that kind of growth. In fact, I have here before me a sentence from one of the authors on this. He says this, Desolations will come. They are, in fact, as normal a part of human life as our rainy days. I love that sentence. Rainy days are a bit of an inconvenience and a nuisance in some ways. But on the other hand, 
What if we never had rainy days? There'd be other kinds of consequences. And desolations are as normal a part of the spiritual life as rainy days in ordinary, everyday living. There's a reason for them. There's a call to growth in those times. I was reading uh, at one point the, the Revelations of Divine Love, which is a lovely book by Julian of Norwich, a 14th century English woman of, of, uh, of holiness. And there's a marvelous page in that book where she describes a time of great spiritual consolation, just supreme spiritual delight, feeling God's closeness, feeling rooted solidly in the Lord. But it didn't last. And then a time of desolation came, and she says she describes feeling empty and abandoned and alone, kind of ruining my life without feeling any fervor at all. And that didn't last. And the consolation returned, again the joy in the Lord. And that didn't last. And again heaviness of the desolation. And she says this went on about 20 times. It's a beautiful illustration of exactly what St. Ignatius sees as normal in the spiritual life. And what matters is discernment, the big three. Mm -hmm. To be living with awareness, understanding, and taking wise action, accepting the consolation, rejecting the desolation. Now I have here how Julian of Norwich responds to this experience. And she writes this, And and I I like this too because there's a kind of serenity about this. This vision was shown to teach me to understand that some souls profit by experiencing this, to be comforted at one time and at another to fail and be left to themselves. And then she says, God wishes us to know that he keeps us safe all the time in sorrow and in joy. And as we go through those alternations, we learn that experience. Finally, St. Ignatius says, well, to sum up Rule 8, Let the one who's in desolation, like the servant of God Elizabeth, work to be patient, stay the course, not give up, see it through. What will help the person to do that right in the heaviness of the desolation is to call to mind and consider and remember that this desolation is not going to last forever. Consolation is coming back. We're like, spiritually, we are in the situation of that second patient in the hospital room. Mm -hmm. Consolation is coming back and a lot sooner than the desolation is telling me. And then Ignatius says, what will further help is to use the four means that he described two rules earlier when he says it is very helpful to change ourselves intensely against the desolation itself through prayer, petition, asking God's help, meditation, calling to mind the truths of faith, which root me in a sense of God's faithful love, much examination, what's at work, how did this get started, what do I need to do specifically to respond to this desolation, And then the suitable gestures of penitential courage that we talked about, instead of kind of fleeing the desolation into some kind of gratification which really doesn't help things. In small ways, I courageously stand my ground. Now, if I do those three things, I work to be in patience. I call to mind that this is going to pass this desolation, and soon, a lot Mm -hmm. sooner than I'm feeling. And I actively use those means. What's going to happen to that desolation? Well, the downswing on that imaginary lines of ups and downs, the downswing is not going to go so far down and it's not going to last as long. In God's providence, with God's grace, those desolations are going to pass all the sooner. We just have to wait on the Lord. Patience achieves everything, St. Teresa of Avila tells us. Beautiful words of wisdom. Thank you, Father Gallagher. My privilege. You've been listening to The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with 
hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our mission. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher.